God, teach us. God, convict us. God, encourage us. God, transform us to become men and women that better reflect you as we look into your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the people that I think about uh, on 4th of July, around the 4th of July, is my dad. My dad served in World War II, and he was in North Africa and Greece. And I'm lucky enough to have a bunch of great memorabilia from his service to this country. And I got some pictures here. This is my dad in, uh, in North Africa in 1944. He was a sergeant in the Army Air Forces. There was no Air Force at that time. It was just a part of the Army. And the next picture is him with a, uh, a group of, of the, his buddies. I noticed, I hadn't noticed this before, but, uh, but there, notice there, there are stripes on my dad's arm, and I don't see any on the other guys, so maybe they work for him. I don't know. And my dad also, he was a friendly guy, and he, had, he got to know this Greek family, um, while he was there because he uh, spent quite a bit of time in Greece and got to know them. My dad also had several brothers who also served in World War II, and I have one picture of him with his brother Paul. Did we miss, did we miss Brother Paul? I guess we don't have that picture. Anyway, he had a brother that was in the Navy. And I have most of his accommodations from World War II. Go ahead to the next one. This is... Uh, Thing that I put together for, with him, you notice that uh, over on the uh, right-hand side, he actually received a bronze star for his, his freedom, for his bravery uh, in ask, actually rescuing a guy behind enemy lines under, under enemy fire. The freedom that my dad and so many others fought to preserve for us is why this Tuesday we still are able to celebrate our Independence Day, our freedom our 4th of July. But today I would like to turn our attention to a much greater and more consequential freedom, what I would call true freedom, which is found in these verses in John chapter 8, 31 through 59. The context for this discourse of Jesus is that Jesus has been teaching a great deal in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. He's been teaching about himself and what he offers to those who come to him and believe in him. He has made bold proclamations. He has told us in John chapter 7, 29, that he knows God and has come from God. In 737, Jesus proclaims again while he is in the temple, that he is the source of living water, water that will not only quench the thirst of all who come to him and believe in him, but also water that will flow in rivers from the hearts of those who believe. And then, again, while in the temple, Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world, and those who choose to follow him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. These are just a few of the bold statements that Jesus makes while teaching in the temple. The significance of this that is that the temple for the Jews was the place of the very presence of God. And Jesus is in that temple proclaiming things 
that only God can do and that only God can be. So as we delve into this section of chapter 8 today, it is important to remember a couple of things. First, Jesus is still teaching in the temple, the place where the people went to meet God. Second, not only has Jesus been making claims about himself, he has also been calling people to himself. You see, Jesus wants people to believe in him. But in order to believe in him, they need to know who he is and what he offers. He is not making these bold claims about himself for the purpose of making people mad, but to open their eyes to who it is who is standing right before them, teaching them and offering so much to them. It is the love and grace of God that is his motivation. And third, this section seems to be the crescendo of Jesus' teaching, if you will, in the temple, concluding with Jesus' claim recorded for us by John that Jesus is the I am, that Jesus is God. Now, with that said, I believe that there is a theme in this section that we must not miss. The word free is used five times in the Gospel of John, and four of them are in this section. The only other one in the Gospel of John is, 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 when, um, is when they, uh, sorry, I, <laughs> you know, when, when Jesus, before Jesus was crucified, and it was before Pilate, and Pilate, Pilate makes the statement, you know, I can free you. You know, what a joke, Right? And Jesus responds to that. But all the other four are right here in this text. And why is that? See, Jesus offers to them and to us freedom. This is clearly stated by Jesus in verse 32 and again in verse 36, if you look. So with that in mind, I would like to look at this entire section of Scripture in three parts. Part number one, the way to freedom Part number two, the obstacles to freedom. And part number three, the person of freedom. Let's look first at the way to freedom. Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. There's a lot of discussion among Bible scholars with regards to the opening phrase, the Jews who had believed especially as it relates to what the Apostle John tells us at the end of the previous section in verse 30, many believed in him. I want to come back to that when we look at the obstacles to freedom, but let's move on to the bold words of Jesus here. It begins with the word if. In other words, it is not an automatic. It is a choice to be made. It is a condition of being set free. The road to true freedom begins with an if. A decision to be made. An action to be taken. What is that decision to be made? What is that action to be taken? To abide in my word. Notice that Jesus does not say abide by my word, but abide in my word. People can abide by Jesus' word at least for a little while without truly being committed to him thinking that there may be some benefit for them if they do what Jesus says. 
either keeping them out of trouble or giving them some personal positive benefits. But to abide in is a whole different thing. To abide in Jesus' words, to immerse yourself in it, live by it, believe in it, make it a way of life. It is a difference between sitting at the edge of a pool with your feet in the water, taking in some of the coolness of the hot day uh, from the hot day, and going to the top of the high dive and just jumping in. A toe in the water with Jesus is not going to get you the freedom that he offers. Jesus goes on to say that the one who abides in his word is what? Truly his disciple. In other words, there are those who will claim to be his disciples who are not true disciples of his, who have just put a toe in the water, if you will. I would like to stop here, though, and make one thing clear. It is okay for you who are just learning about Jesus to begin by putting your toe in the water, to begin to decide whether Jesus is worth diving in with. But you can't stay there. You can't make your home there. To many people, many people are doing that, even in the Christian church today, hoping that some of the benefits of Jesus might be theirs as well. But Jesus makes it clear clear that just believing about him is not going to set you free. You must know him. You must follow him and submit to him. The if is an important piece in the way to freedom. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says that the way to true freedom is to basically submit to him by abiding in his word? The world in which we live would say that true freedom is having to answer to no one. In fact, when I Googled the definition of freedom, there were a couple definitions that came up. The first definition that came up was this one. Freedom is the right or is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. But there was also another definition. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. We can look around us and see all kinds of people that are trying to live by that first definition and have found themselves struggling for freedom, for the freedom of the second definition. Look at what the Apostle Peter writes regarding this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever ever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. I'm sure that all of us can think of instances in our own lives where we have lived by the first definition and found ourselves in bondage to a habit, an addiction, a way of thinking, or a whole host of other things. And come to think of it, wasn't that exactly what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the beginning? They wanted true freedom. They didn't want to submit to God, even though their life could not have been better, even though freedom was all around them, staring them in the face. But let's keep going. This abiding in the word of Jesus, being his true disciples, will lead to knowing the truth, the truth that sets you truly free. Jesus states it even more clearly in verse 36, doesn't he? Because he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you believe this? Do you live by this? 
Jesus makes it clear that he and he alone is the only one who can truly set us free. The way to freedom is through the Son and only through the Son. That's the truth. And knowing that truth, abiding in that truth, living in that truth is the only way to truly be free. The Apostle Paul, when he was with Barnabas and they went to Antioch and they went and, and, into the synagogue, which was their practice, in Acts chapter 13, 38, Paul says this to them, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is what? Freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Paul says it again so clearly in Romans 8, 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? Zero. For the law of the spirit of life has set you what? Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The way to freedom, the only one who can truly set you free is Jesus if you choose to abide in his word and follow him. That is the truth. And all of this, and if all of this is true, then why don't more people, and even you and I, live a life of freedom, abiding in Christ? Yes, knowing Christ initially, but continuing to abide and live in him. And with that comes the obstacles to freedom. As you've read, as you listen to Rick read this, a lot of this has to do with the obstacles of freedom, and I want to share those with you. I have five of them. If you look through this passage, you may find more, okay? Number one, obstacles to freedom. Not wanting the real Jesus. Not wanting the real Jesus. Let's get back to the first verse of this passage and its connection with verse 30. Remember we said it says believe and believe. We can't presume to understand all that John is telling us here. Uh, regarding the belief of the people. But look at the context here. The context that follows indicates a very superficial and maybe a personal agenda type belief in Jesus. Because you see, as soon as Jesus began to address their personal and religious issues, pointing out that they are putting their faith in the wrong person, what do they do? They turn on him. They bail on Jesus when he starts doing surgery on their false beliefs and their false assumptions regarding the way to truly being free. Today, we live in a society and even a world that is becoming very spiritual, but they don't want anyone telling them, even Jesus, what they believe is wrong. They want to believe in parts of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. They want the Jesus that heals people, that does good things for you, but they do not want the Jesus that says he is the only way. Obstacle number one, not wanting the real Jesus. Obstacle number two, not believing that they needed to be set free. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you, that, that you will become free? I can't say it any better than a commentator Bruce Shine said about this passage and helped me to see the level of ridiculousness here. Here's what he says. It's a long quote, so hang with me. Bruce says this, when he tells them that 
they're content, excuse me, when, they, when he tells them that they're continuing as his disciples will free them, they deny that they have ever been in bondage. Their lack of knowledge of the trials of the fathers after Abraham is incomprehensible. They later on, he says, even more, how is it possible to make such a claim as they stand in the courts of the temple in occupied Jerusalem? Their refusal to acknowledge what they see about them is inexcusable. They must be blind. Overshadowing the temple is the Roman barracks, the Atonia. Now, now that the feast is over, the high priest must return his garments to the control center to be kept under lock and key by Rome. If one but glances past the barrier excluding pagans from the sanctuary, one must certainly catch sight of Roman soldiers, one or two of them on patrol. Nor is that barrier a real blockage against Rome's influence at the altar itself. The high priest Caiaphas officiates here only because Rome appointed and approved him. There were signs of bondage all around them. We don't need to be set free, Jesus. We're free. Is it any different today? We live in a country that claims to be the land of the free. And yet we have addictions in record numbers. We have depression at an all-time high. We have high numbers of suicide. Anger and hate are eating up the minds of people. Yet we think we are free and don't need to be set free. We don't want the real Jesus. We don't think that we need to be set free. Number three. We are comfortable with the way things are. As you read how the people speak of Abraham, it is almost as if Abraham is more the one they put their faith in than God himself. He has become the one they trust in. Their connection to him is what they hang on to. Look at all the times they mention Abraham in this passage. Abraham is their proof text, if you will. And basically, they tell Jesus that nothing you can say can change our mind. Kind of speak to the hand, huh? This is what we believe, Jesus. This is what we want to believe. We are comfortable with the way things are. Abraham is our man. We live in a world that is just as blind, or at least seems to want to be just as blind. Don't try to change my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. In other words, I'm sticking with trusting in Abraham no matter who you are or what you say. Just to think of all that has been written over at least the last 50 or 60 years regarding the historical evidence for the accuracy of the Bible that we have in our possession and the evidence for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and the testimony of millions regarding the truth of Jesus' words in this passage that knowing him, following him, believing in him will set you free. And yet so many don't believe that they need to be set free. And part of that is because of the obstacle number four. We're told that the devil himself is that obstacle. Look at verse 43. 
Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because, listen to this, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Make no mistake, men and women, church, the devil is very much involved in people believing the crazy stuff they believe instead of Jesus. He is a very good liar and deceiver. The sad news is that he has deceived many men and women right into his camp, his family, if you will. And this reminds me of the words of Jesus regarding the parable of the sower, sower recorded in Matthew chapter 13. Verse 18, Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Not wanting the real Jesus, not believing that you need to be set free, comfortable with the way things are, and the influence of the devil himself. But number five is personal pride. Personal pride. Personal pride blinds the heart and demonizes the truth. Look at 33. 833. What do the, what do the people say? He said, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Outright lies. Look at 841. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. God. The first part of that is most likely a dig against Jesus himself being illegitimate. And the second is similar in that they are trying to say, that they are more righteous than Jesus and in good standing with God the Father. Look at me. Look at me. 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You see, get this, they no longer have an argument against Jesus, so they just throw at him the worst they have. Do we ever do that when our pride is attacked? Woo! Samaritans, you see, were considered the worst in being of the devil. Being of the devil to them was the best slam that they could come up with, even though not one of them could actually accuse Jesus of sin. I want my way no matter what, and I will go to whatever lengths I need to defend and support my position. If I can't prove you wrong, then I will make something up lie about you and just try to destroy your credibility. We don't see that in our world today, do we? You see, but we also can easily get caught up in all or some of these obstacles of true freedom, can't we? Unless we focus our lives on the very one who offers us this freedom. Number three, the way to freedom, the obstacles to freedom. Number three, the person of freedom, Jesus. See, it is only because of who Jesus is that he can truly offer each one of us the ultimate freedom, an eternal freedom, a life-changing freedom. 
what we do learn or are reminded of, what, what do we learn or are reminded of about Jesus in this passage? Look at verse 32. We're going to move right along here. Verse 32, he is the holder and source of truth. Verse 36, he is the only one who can truly set you free. Verse 38, these are all claims that Jesus is making, okay? He has been with the Father and what he has seen. Verse 42, Jesus came from God and was sent by God. Verse 46, Jesus claims to be perfect, sinless. Verse 50 and 54, God the Father seeks the glory of the Son. Have you read the scriptures? The scriptures are clear that God is the only one who gets glory. Verse 51, Jesus claims that those who keep his word will never see death. Verse 56 and 57, we're told Jesus says he knew Abraham. That blows him away, doesn't it? On verse 50, 58, he calls, he calls himself and claims to be God. I am. You can't make this stuff up. Jesus does not leave space for us to claim him to be anything other than God. And if he is God, then he would definitely know what we need to be set free. And he would definitely know how each one of us can take hold of freedom, of the freedom that he offers. Sometimes those of us who would affirm Jesus as God and the only way to true freedom, we don't always live and act like we are all in with him, do we? We forget sometimes conveniently. We are drawn to the lies of the devil at times. Sometimes we want to be God and we see following Jesus as being enslaved and not a way to be set free. Yet if this picture of Jesus that we just saw is true and if he really is I am and even though he doesn't have to, he is calling men and women to himself to be set free. Why? Because he loves us that much. And if that is true, then following him and trusting in him is not a burden to bear, but a privilege to accept with all, all the gratitude that we can muster. Adam and Eve thought that they could be more free by being their own God, which led to what? <coughs> Death and corruption. And the same mentality is alive and well today. Don't be fooled. Submission to the real Jesus initially and daily is the real way to freedom. On Tuesday, on Tuesday, we celebrate our independence, our freedom as a country. Yet today, God's word does not call us to independence in order to acquire true freedom, but to dependence. Dependence upon Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords who loves you, died for you, rose again, and offers you a freedom that begins now and will continue for all eternity in his presence. Notice Jesus' words in Matthew that, that Pastor Logan um, read for us this morning where Jesus says, come to me all who will labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus calls, him, calls us to himself to free us from our burdens, but look closely. 
Notice that the way to freedom is taking on Jesus' yoke, allowing Jesus to lead, allowing Jesus to call the shots, surrendering your independence to him. You see, true freedom is not found in independence from Jesus, but dependence and belief in Jesus, abiding in Jesus and his word. I am proud of my dad and his service to this country, doing his part to uphold and preserve our declaration of independence. But I rejoice greatly that he also found true freedom by choosing to become dependent upon Jesus to surrender his freedom to the only one who could truly set him free. My dad came to know the truth of Jesus' words in this passage found in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I don't know where your heart is today. I don't know if you truly believe in the real Jesus and abide in his word, but I do know this. If you truly want freedom, then you have to give up your attempts to find it in your own independence and instead surrender to Jesus. Depend on him. Trust in him. Believe in him. And you will find true and lasting freedom. The Apostle Paul, who before he came face to face with Jesus, was probably the, the greatest one that we know in trying to find his own freedom, his own way. And he says this in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, independence, right, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So my question is, how about you? Are you convinced, convinced? And does your life reflect the true freedom that is only found in Jesus? Celebrate. Celebrate Independence Day. But find a true freedom in choosing total dependence on Jesus. Maybe you are here and you have confessed Christ but are still trying to do things your way. You're stuck in maybe one of those obstacles that we mentioned this morning. Depend on him. Fit under his yoke, let him lead. That is how you will find true freedom. And if you've never come to trust and surrender to Jesus and find the true freedom, his forgiveness, love, and new life that he offers, I want you to think about that. And I'd like you not to leave today without finding that true freedom. And you can find it just with a simple prayer, Lord Jesus. You can even pray it with me right now if you want to. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Forgive me for trying to do this my way. I want the true freedom that only you have to offer. It's not the words, it's your heart. Love to talk with you about that later if that's you. Let's pray together.
God, it's so easy to get caught up in a world that tells us that freedom is only found in our independence. It's easy to get caught up in a world that that tells us to truly be happy, it needs to be all about us. It's easy to get caught up in a world where our freedom ends with the with the boundaries of a country instead of with the open arms of Jesus nailed to a cross. God, thank you that we live in a country where we have the freedoms that we have. Thank you that we can celebrate Independence Day. 